0: I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing.
1: So if one in three women experience gender-based violence in their lifetime, that's material to every business. The question is, how do you figure out how it's material?
0: That's Joy Anderson, founder and president of the Criterion Institute. We spoke at the end of May about gender and the COVID recovery, just as the video of the murder of George Floyd hit the Internet. Hi, Joy. Hi, David. Joy's an old friend and a teacher of mine around all things gender lens. I think Criterion uh, basically helped create the field of gender lens investing.
1: Yep, we wrote we wrote all the early reports, uh, came up with some of the early frameworks, and have been working on it for the last 10 years.
0: I went to one of your early convergence gatherings Um, uh, that was plowing some of that that early ground. I think I was one of the few men at that that gathering.
1: You might have been alone on that gender front, but uh, you were useful nonetheless.
0: I think I wrote a post and I said, you know, hey, guys, you might want to get in on this. It's a big deal.
1: Oh, no, I believe actually, David, you wrote a post that said gender is hot and we got in a lot of trouble, if you want to know
0: the truth. Well, now that you brought that up, which I wasn't going to bring up, you said women are hot. I quoted you, but of course I got in sure. trouble. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. That is true. But it's different when I say it. That's sort of the thing.
0: Indeed. I think that was the point of many of the commentators. <laughs> exactly. In any well, we've event- We've come
1: a long way from then, haven't we, baby?
0: <laughs> <laughs> to coin a phrase. Um uh, you've got this report coming out on uh, a due diligence guide for investors on gender-based violence and COVID, which, you know, in a sense, encapsulates, I think, a lot of the, the work you've done. I want to get into that specifically. But in broad terms, you've been looking at gender and, and COVID and gender and the recovery. And and I'd be just keen to to hear your thoughts on, on where we're at. And, you know, probably things that f- most folks, probably most men, at, at least in, certainly are not thinking about.
1: Emergencies are gendered. I mean, that's the reality. And it, and it's hard to see that um, often. Um, and this is actually many people, we work closely with lots of humanitarian organizations. And one of the things that's really striking about COVID is we're able to see more, right? Because it's, um, you know, because it was initially Italy, right, and we were focused on Italy. And there was there's a lens into what you can see that's often harder than in places where there's less media and less visibility. Um, And so this has really brought to light what we've known for a very long time is the gendered aspects of disasters. And one of the most tragic pieces is the rise of gender-based violence, which is always a dynamic in disasters and emergencies, Um, whether that's, I think many people are aware of, you know, increase in, 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 wow, we're just diving right into this, but increases in 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 rape and other forms of violence um, in in war settings. Um, and in COVID, it has been particularly challenging because of the rise of domestic violence, as many people are being asked to stay home. And so I pause when I complain about how many Zoom calls I'm on because I am in a situation where I am safe in those Zoom calls, as opposed to being locked in a house with an abuser, which is, um, and and just to to pile on, just to get a nature of the challenge. And then obviously the the question for us is always, what does this have to do with finance? But if if the nature of the challenge is not just the gender-based violence is going up, which is what happens when there's sort of the cultural upheavals that happened in disasters, but also the services are down. So domestic violence shelters are not open, and so your ability to escape the situation globally um, has led to a significant rise in deaths. And um, people describe it as a pandemic within the pandemic.
0: People say that you know COVID has kind of been like an X-ray, um, kind of peering yeah. under the surface of uh, to reveal things that have kind of always been there, but maybe not always. Been so visible, and you've you, you've had an analysis of, of gender-based violence, obviously pre pre COVID, and and and, right. and how material it is. I think is is one way you guys think about it. Um, how material it is, uh, for investors and businesses to think about. Now you've got this guide. Um, you know what should folks be thinking about?
1: I I want to start by saying at, at some level the reaction to something like gender-based violence first and foremost is empathy and sort of acknowledging and the pain and the number of people who experience this. So I, I don't want to jump to, and then how that is translated into the sort of instrumentality of finance. But, but one of the challenges in the field of gender lens investing overall is that, and, and maybe it's a lead into the answer to your question, but one of the challenges we see in the field of gender lens investing overall is almost all of the attention placed on gender in finance has to do with what happens inside of companies. And even with the amazing efforts behind Me Too to expose what goes on at the workplace, we could uh, arguably eliminate gender-based violence in the workplace and we wouldn't make a dent in the overall gender-based violence in the world, by far the largest and most severe examples of gender-based violence happen in the streets, in homes. It's not a workplace phenomenon. It's a cultural expression of sort of gender inequalities in the world. And so the challenge for many investors is, well, gosh, that sucks for women, but why would it matter to me if it's not happening at a company? And the the research that we've been working on for, for years now is, is looking at essentially seeing gender-based violence as a market risk and the same kind of ubiquity. One in three women experienced gender-based violence in their lifetimes. And that number just, that number just went up. So if one in three women experienced gender-based violence in their lifetime, that's material to every business. The question is, how do you figure out how it's material? So maybe look at this at two different levels. One is you look at an industry like hospitality or agriculture, two of the industries that the highest rates of gender-based violence across the industry. Uh, that has to do with the sort of isolation of workers, right? It isn't actually the media that has, you know, where the, where the highest incidence of gender-based violence is. It's in industries where there's isolation and wide power disparities. And so if you think about, not just individual companies in those industries, but thinking about what the recovery looks like. So if if we look at an industry like hospitality and think about the recovery, one of the dynamics within that is, is it possible to rebuild a more stable industry? The fact that hospitality has one of the highest rates of gender based violence of any industry means that that creates instability within the industry. It's not just too bad that women are re- regularly assaulted within, you know, cleaners are regularly assaulted at their job, right? Something like 85% of janitors. Cleaners in buildings experience assault. I mean, we're we're not talking about from time to time this is a problem. It's endemic in those industries. So part of the question is, as you're looking at recovery, as we're looking to rebuild industries and think about particularly for something as, you know, catastrophically hit as hospitality, is there a way to rebuild it stronger? And this is where many people are saying, is there an opportunity as so many things are taken apart that we could find a new path to rebuilding it? The second just sort of simple point, seeing it more as a market risk, not just a risk inside of an industry, which is this sort of continued propensity to work at home is often, and so many companies making these decisions to continue to enable people to work at home. From a gender perspective, some people say, hey, that's great, right? We've wanted flexible workplaces. I love it when people say, see, women can stay home with their children now. That's my perfect, that's one of my favorite comments, right? Like, oh, this is gonna be great for women because they always wanted to just be able to stay home and take care of the kids. And this enables them to do that all the time. And work like that's fun, but it also has this reality of are those companies really looking carefully? And I was on a really interesting call with Allstate yesterday, um, who's who's doing some really interesting things, looking at the long term safety that needs to be put in place for people who work at home. And so, how do we look at this systemically and and really be smart as we're looking? I mean, what I love about what I see impact investors and sustainable investors doing right now is figuring out where can they put their money to rebuild the economy better, more sustainable, more compassionate, more just than it was before. And one of the things, unfortunately, that is in the midst of that is is looking at this sort of catastrophic incidence of gender-based violence.
0: Well, so I think what you're getting at is, is that there's a gender component to lots of aspects of the recovery whether it's how we work which which industries are hardest hit who's doing the work what the treatment is of different workers relationships in the home as you say um I, I think impact investors are probably more attuned to it than others uh, hopefully readers of impact alpha have, have gotten the the memo about about gender lens and, and, and gender-based uh, uh, perspectives on investing but it's not really like the front and center you know, headline issue in in the in the recovery and and sounds like like maybe it's the it's not just an issue maybe it's the issue
1: I mean I think power is the issue I think inequity and structural inequities that affect all kinds of people in different ways whether that's race and class and religion sort of so many different there's so many different angles in which the system really works actively to screw people over like it's 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 got a lot of options of who it's really looking to mess with but but there is a, and one of those threats is gender so I, I i will i will never put gender as more important than other things but i do hope that anytime we're paying attention to gender that what we're really looking at is not just women but that we're looking at the underlying power dynamics so that we can see underlying power dynamics of Uh, black women differently than we're looking at corporate executives who um, might be black or they might be white. But how are we looking at the sort of dynamics within that? Um,
0: So power. Yeah, power. So power is power is a central issue. And, 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 you know, I mean, you know, maybe this is overly broad. I'm sure it is overly broad. But, you know, what has happened to power dynamics and power relations in in the recovery? And what are the prospects for rebalancing those power dynamics?
1: Yeah. So for me, I think the headline here, to pick up on your language from before, is what are we valuing in the recovery? And right now, we're setting up so many different metrics that say, this is what recovery means. And, you know, the little gurgle that we all feel of some hopefulness of like, maybe this means it might be getting better. And what are those signals of recovery?
0: And every little glimmer of something, you know, triggers a stock market rally and every little, you know, other thing triggers a stock market crash and everybody's on 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 edge.
1: Well, and it might be that the stock market writes that Brilliant New York Times article a couple of weeks ago. Sort of let's let's get over our fear of know, um, yeah, the stock market's going up, but we're not in recovery, right? And and so the stock market is never going to be as accurate a predictor as it was in um, the early 20th century. Um, it never is going to be again because it's not that close to the real economy anymore, right? It, And so, what we need to be figuring out is how do we actually look at the real economy? And I remember in 2008, I sat on a board of a large foundation. And every time our advisors would come in and tell us what the recovery was looking like, I would sit there and say, you know what? Could you come back with any data about micro and small businesses? Not just what's happening in large corporates, but are small businesses, are, um, are small businesses recovering? Because if they're not, we're not getting there. And, and right now there's a really stark data point that's, that's, that's running around fairly, fairly widely of the role of looking at um, enterprises led by African-American women in the US in particular is a leading indicator of recovery. And what if that was what we were looking at? How would we change, right? How would we change how we understood recovery if we had a different set of indicators that we were looking at? Um, And so, for example, there's still a structural bias in the job market where there is a focus to get men's jobs back first. Um, it's just a, it's a thing that still happens and it's worth paying attention to. Um, and so if you're looking at job creation, being able to break that set down and saying jobs created for whom, who is getting re employed fastest. Um, because in fact, if we hang back and just watch job numbers, without a gender analysis, we have a – I feel like I'm such a downer, but some of these numbers are just astronomically disturbing. But if if we are just watching that without a gender lens, we're going to have a twofold impact. One is we don't have a real picture of what recovery looks like. We're not really looking at holistically at who is recovering – the second thing is we've been telling a story for a long time about the absolute importance. We have so many data points from McKinsey to, to whoever about the importance of women's participation in the economy as a driver of growth. If we're not paying attention to things like the care economy and are women actually able to get back to work or we, did we decide that women staying home and doing the best they can in a job where they're also st- taking care of kids is okay, right? Like, or if in the recovery and we're looking at job growth and we're not looking at whether or not women are re-entering the workforce, we're going to have a, a cascading effect because the time delay of getting women back into the workforce, without the infrastructure necessary to make sure that the the sort of um, costs of the care economy don't simply fall back to women and they are not able to re-enter the workforce, it's going to have a long-term effect.
0: So we could have a we could have a kind of recovery index of some sort that actually had three or four or five indicators. Something one of them would be. Uh, recovery rates for African American women-led businesses, uh, rates of gender lens viol of of gender-based violence, um, and a few other things that would actually give a more accurate, not only give a more accurate view of the recovery, but if in that you know what gets measured gets managed and all that, that people that that the system or society would then start optimizing for <laughs> moving those metrics in a way to to and 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 all of a sudden. Um, uh, certain things would be, be valued as 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 investment opportunities, as policy as policy opportunities, and 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 whatnot.
1: So we've been actually we started working on that uh, about a month ago with the leaders in the field of gender lens investing. So there are about ten of us trying to compile what is the data that we know, what are the correlations that are already in place, um, and we've got these sort of ten points of materiality. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to publish those soon. They turned out to be it, we think it really matters what these numbers are and what we're paying attention to and how, you know, this is a moment where it can't be too complex. It has to be really simple and clean, right? Everybody's looking for something to hang on to. So a uh, couple more layers of edits, but we should be publishing something like that soon.
0: Well, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, the things we always look for is that in the the thing that other people are not seeing is, can be an opportunity for the folks who are seeing it. So, you know, what are the what are the opportunities, and not just investment opportunities, but you know, sort of, you know, impact opportunities um for uh folks to, you know, who, who can look deeper and and see these 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 power dynamics.
1: Yeah, it's it's the care economy. Um that's that is a significantly underlooked, especially in the United States. It's it's a it's a it's a it's an issue globally. Um,
0: just, uh, just on that, to, the, not to interrupt, but um, we we've been talking with folks in uh, Asia Pacific, South Korea and Japan, and in, the impact investors there because of aging, aging societies and whatnot, were very keen on caring economy pre-COVID and are now finding, you know, just at a sheer investment level that a lot of those um, companies are are seeing, you know, very much increased demand and whatnot and finding that care economy investments turned out to be a, a smart idea.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and they need to be smart, right? We need to be going deep in our gender analysis and not just thinking at a surface of there There might be a woman customer and therefore I'm doing a good job. But are we really looking at sort of the systemic impacts underneath this?
0: So what would, you know, forward thinking policy types be prioritizing if they were taking a true uh, gender lens, power dynamics kind of approach to the recovery?
1: Yeah, so we a, a good amount of our work, as you know, David, is with the Canadian and the Australian government, particularly in their, um, we work most often with their donor agencies. And almost immediately after COVID began, we started conversations about the power dynamics and how money was going out the door.
0: You mean like relief stimulus kind of money?
1: And initially relief stimulus money. Um, you know, I think there's been a huge amount of coverage about who gets it. Um, the gender numbers on that are are not good in terms of where the stimulus is going. It's, you know, particularly stark in the United States, of course, for African-Americans. Um, and so it's it's actually not as stark for women. Um But beyond the getting it, what we're actually also worried about are the terms um, and the power dynamics behind it. And we're looking at, you know, coming back to Asia for a second, the conversations we're having with the Australian government is is really their question is how with a gender lens do we think about where, where we direct our funding now, and for us, we're focused both on Southeast Asia and the Pacific. And one of the things that we're seeing is, and I don't mean to be overly critical because I, I think this is a really important step, but a lot of the initial money is going in the impact investing circles, the initial money is going to funds who are investing in the companies that they had already invested in.
0: It's going to shore up or bail out or just ensure the survival of the existing portfolio companies just at the, I mean, just as the, at the obvious level if the fund managers want to protect their own portfolios.
1: I like it that you said it more harshly. I can now be a little nicer, but yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, think that's, I think that is part of what's happening. And, and I don't think that's because people are being selfish. I think it's because they truly believe in the companies that they invested in and they want to make sure that those companies survive. The challenge is though, and, and this is an interesting gender dynamic, in looking at the role of um, women-led businesses in, in many markets. We've often bemoaned, you know, women tend not to build high-growth companies that can take in venture capital. They tend to build normal growth companies that are actually much more resilient, right? They have not taken on a bunch of outside capital that is now disrupting a massive growth path. So what I worry about is the extent to which, and and I actually think this is not just an injustice issue. It's a a strategy of rebuilding, right? What do we want the rebuilding to look like? Because if we are simply moving our capital to prop up growth, we're not investing in resilience. And um, we're not investing in... I mean, let's face it, there are all kinds of parts of our economy that we're obsessed with growth. And we will continue to be looking for those moments of um, uh, of what's going to hit it out of the ballpark, where are the next unicorns, and, and I know we're going to keep looking at that. But right now, we need to be looking in agricultural value chains and saying, who's there with purchase order financing? The moment that an agricultural supply chain is opening up. And let's be really practical about that. It's not very sexy, but it's really important. And we've been having conversations about making sure that the stimulus money that's going out now, right, the bias in who's getting stimulus and where it's going to comes back to where we were before about what does the recovery look like? and if we're looking at big employers who will get us big numbers of job growth then we're not looking at smaller micro businesses that are the bedrock of livelihood for most economies so we might get the manufacturing plant moving again and and we get a win but we're not getting the the smaller businesses back to work and it's those family businesses and 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 um that, that deliver the mail day in and day out and and we have to rebuild that as well. And there's huge gender dynamics behind the intermediaries that are getting the capital and are they looking more broadly at the opportunities or are they following the same ruts that they were in before of I know how to get to these entrepreneurs and therefore I'm going to get to them again because I don't know how to find the others and I don't know how to rethink um, what's useful now we had a we had a call with 10 different organizations that are all building new funds right now a couple nights ago in in asia pacific and it was just an amazing conversation of i, I just wanted everybody to scratch their heads for a while and say is my idea actually still relevant want <laughs> to it wasn't ever actually relevant <laughs> but is my idea still relevant And how could, instead of providing debt, could I be doing revenue rights to help people do a pivot? Because frankly, not that many people want to take on debt right now. So could we be thinking about other structures that don't put people who had already taken in debt to grow to take additional debt to survive?
0: So if I can just try to connect the dots, a gender lens might lead one to a analysis of power, which might lead one to reformulate some of the structures and vehicles and institutions of finance, which might reshape the kind of recovery we get and thus the economy of the future. Yes. And my last question for you then is, uh, how confident or optimistic are you that we're we're on that path and where do you just sit on this kind of, you know, question that we're all dealing with of like, you know, are we, are we getting there or are we falling back?
1: One of the things that I've found myself reminded of often in the last few months is that hope is not an option. Hope is not a choice. Hope is not a, it is, it is, it's a necessity. One of the things I love about investing at some fundamental level, investing is about having a future, a picture of a future and making a bet. And I don't know how people invest if they don't fundamentally have hope. And I think this is a time more than ever because of the ways in which we're going to concentrate capital, the ways in which we're going to be using capital hopefully to problem-solve more than we ever have before, right? Let's face it, finance drives recoveries. And so I've been talking to many of my friends who are are sort of like, why have you worked in finance? I'm like, because of this, because at this moment, power gets concentrated in the hands of the people who have the ability to finance the recovery. And the question right now is, what is the hope that they are making a bet on? And I want it to be. Do, do I believe it is? No, I am. Especially after the events in the U.S. in the I mean, last last night. I'm sorry to, to date this to date this podcast. Right. The, the, what happened in Minneapolis last night on a day to day, both on a day to day. On a day to day basis it is really hard to be optimistic, but somewhere at the base of it all, if we don't have hope, then we will all go home. Um, And I'm not game to go home yet.
0: Well, Joy, thank you for sharing that with us and for being with us and for all your work. It's great to be with you, Joy Anderson, Criterion Institute. Thank you.
1: Thanks, David.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. You can read more about Joy and the guide to mitigating the risks of gender-based violence at impactalpha.com. Subscribers receive full access to Impact Alpha content, including deal flow, job postings, and a Slack channel. Use the code BRIEFING50 to get 50% off at impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thanks to Joy Anderson and our producer Isaac Silk, who wrote our theme song. I'm David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha.